You know, Richard, I'm thinking maybe this week we just won't even do a cold open for the show. What? But everybody loves the cold open. We get all those people who say, why don't you do more cold opens? They're so great. There's uh, all those people who... Uh, they e- email us and, and no that no. hasn't actually there's no big cold open request i mean i like cold opens and you like cold opens who doesn't like cold i opens? don't know who doesn't else like cold the cats seem to like cold the, opens. Co- the cats love cold opens i like cold co- open does that not sound like it means what it means anymore cold open 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 why why where does the word come from i think it's a brand of beer you could open a cold open there you go. Ooh. Should we open a cold open? We should. Richard and Chris episode. Hey, hope. Bring for you a mix to this week of some of the worst pieces of shit you've ever imagined watching, and some of the best fucking films this you is, haven't heard of. This is the best schizophrenic week ever. <laughs> yes, it is. We are gonna hit all spectrums from like the totally amazing and sublime to like just how did this even get made? Someone is rolling over in their grave, and some stuff in between. The, yeah, I mean, last week, if you listened, was kind of the there's a couple of things out that are kind of escaping clearly because either it's terrible or the studio just didn't know what to do with it. This week is let's dump some shit and also, hey, there's a whole bunch of people probably got some money for Christmas and it is burning a hole in their pocket or they got a Target gift card or something right. or an Amazon credit. Let They will really want to buy this shit. So it is the weirdest, weirdest time of year. It's the opposite of what happens in cinema, which is just... You know, nail bomb the place with 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 shitty films. It's actually some true gems this week. And there's uh, one of those gems is one I'm really surprised got a high primo release from a major studio. Mm. I thought it was going to be slipped out by Shout Factory, who's wonderful, but a smaller company, and instead it got a major studio release. And I was like, yes, thank you. You want to anyway, slip it in and shout? Is yeah, that what you're saying? No, I'm not. Hey, oh, I'm. Damn it. Uh, but you know what? Let's start off by going out to the front yard in our slippers and bathrobe and opening up. The You've got mail. That's right. Thank you very much, Torgo. I appreciate it. And the first He's looking sparkly today. He is. He put on some glitter. And some thongs. It's still left over from New Year's Eve, I think. Ooh. Yeah. You should see the uh, in Mailbox World, which is much like uh, Grouch World, uh, you know, on Sesame Street, they, they throw down for New Year's Eve. Just, just remember, a tour goes for life, not just for Christmas. <laughs> uh, Marvin A. Lanier says, do you guys miss intricate designs on mo- menus for movies, or are you okay with the cut and dry motif that most have? Well, um, it depends. Quite frankly, I've seen a lot of ones that were more complex that I just, 
I couldn't be bothered to care one way or the other. I'm like, okay, usually those ones that are more complex are like, they're just scenes from the film. And I get irritated sometimes if I haven't actually seen the film, because sometimes they'll be like, here's a really pertinent thing that happens an hour and a half into this movie. <laughs> like, ah, why would you show me that right before I start watching it? But then there are ones where like, there's just much, a lot of thought going into the menu design. And yes, I do miss those. I mean, to me, the all time greatest menu design ever was the lost Blu-rays. They did an amazing job with those where they look like it was just going to be a still the whole time from the show. So for like two, three minutes, it would just be the still, like not a still, but like, you know, a, a you know, video of nothing happening on a, a location. There aren't even people walking around. It's just there. But if you wait for a while, right towards the end of the couple minutes, something would happen. And then if you click there right at that time, you'd get to an Easter egg. And then it would flip to another screen with another set and do that. And it was like, there were all these Easter eggs hitting inside the set design on every page. And I was like, yes, give me stuff like that. I, I agree with you. I mean, when they were badly done, they were really badly done. But I, my favorite bit of uh, Expendables 3, other than Antonio Banderas being completely loopy, uh, <laughs> was the, the little bit of the moment where Sylvester Stallone walks in uh, on the, on the, the, uh, the title thing, uh, on, on the, the, the menu card, lights a cigarette, grins, throws the match behind him, <laughs> and the whole thing explodes. And I'm like, I miss that kind of stuff. You know, when it was really done brilliantly. A wink and a grin. Yeah, and it doesn't take much. Um, one of my favorite uh, uh, menu cards, for, uh, well, menu hierarchies for any film ever is House of a Thousand Corpses, where Rob Zombie went out and shot basically whole new sequences, and you've got the cast members yelling abuse at you. And it's great. And it's like, you can do this, and it's not hard. And I think it's just another part of the creative process of putting a good DVD or Blu-ray out. And being I mean, yeah, conscious ahead of time that this yeah. is going to happen, so why not film those sequences yeah, you, when you're making the actual product in you, the first place? Yeah, you've, you've got in-house people that can do this. I mean, you're not going to want it for every single film, but is it that hard to do at least a little bit of animation or something fun? It also means you, know, you get more Easter eggs hidden in there, and Easter eggs have kind of died out, and I do miss that. And I think that's part of what sells these things in the first place. I mean, most people, most people are not going, I have to own everything that I really loved on Blu-ray or DVD. Yeah. They're not doing that. They're going, sure, if I got it for a present or something, I'd probably keep it and put it on the shelf, but I'm not going to go out of my way to buy it. But if you're like, hey, you know this movie you really loved, check out all these Blu-ray sequences on it with like whole new shots of video and cool interactive things and like little Easter eggs and hidden stuff. You didn't get that from just seeing it in the movies or watching it on Netflix. And it seems like, you know, that attention to detail has been largely forgotten about lately. Yeah. Now, that being said, as somebody who is somebody who regularly buys stuff anyway, we're not talking about it. It's, like, it's not like the most essential quality of Blu-rays. No. So it's not like, God damn it, it's not as fun anymore. But yeah, every time I, the rare occasions we do see something like that pop up again, I'm always like, Nice. Muppet Christmas Carol, that's got, that's got a, another Muppet, good one as well, because you've yeah. just got the characters kind of wandering through and going, are you going to play the, play the film? Eh, we'll keep ourselves busy and we'll do a song and dance for you. And it's like, it, it doesn't take much. And yeah, I, I think kind of like, both the last Muppet, two Muppet films did that as well. Yeah. Right. And it, it, what I think is that now it makes big releases uh, look like shoveled out titles. Yeah. When it's just like, oh, you have one of the biggest releases of last year and it's just got a bad card. I'm like, screw you. Two seconds of effort. Agreed. Yep. Uh, Brian Raleigh, sorry to get closer to the screen there. Uh, if you could travel to the future and buy the complete Blu-ray collection of any sing uh, single show 
uh, any single now running theatrical or television series to watch in its entirety, what would you choose? Uh, okay, so that I didn't notice initially it said theatrical as well, so that obviously widens the scope of that question originally. I, I think feel like there's two answers, one for theatrical and one for TV here. Yes. Uh, I'm going to start with the TV one, and that would be True Detective. I'm absolutely fascinated by seeing the success or f- a failure of this I, the idea of these single-season shows not connected to previous ones that aren't directed by Ryan Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Murphy's already shown that he has too much trouble keeping from falling into his own old bad habits if he does anything for too long. Yeah. Uh, which I think is exactly what's happened to American Horror Story. He's just like, I can't help it. I just want to do really, really flamboyantly campy stuff and, and lots of musical sequences. It doesn't matter if it doesn't fit the tone of this at all or not. Uh, that's not Nick Pizzolatto, who seems to be going with something completely different as the creator of the show. And I really, really cross my fingers and hope that it's going to, it and Fargo are both going to succeed in their goal to create something really smart and diverse uh, for this type of themed television. Um, you go ahead and do your TV and then we'll go to movies. Uh, I'm going to go with Star Wars Rebels. Star Wars Rebels, okay. I'm going to go with Star Wars Rebels because I'm a huge fan of Clone Wars because all the way through uh, the five se- the five original seasons of Clone Wars, you're faced with a, uh, a specific question, which is they introduce Ahsoka as Anakin's Padawan, and you go, well, hang on, we don't know anything about her later on. She's a major character. She's being trained as a Jedi. Well, what happens to her you know, when Order 66 goes down? Where is she? What happens to her? You have to write a resolution for that character. Right. And they, you know, the one that they wrote, I think, was fantastic. I, you know, I, I really get, you know, took the program to a surprisingly dark place for something that uh, you know, aimed at, um, at kids. Um, and, well, I mean, primarily at kids. I, mean, I think it's a great series that anybody can really enjoy. They're doing the same thing with Rebels, that you have two Jedis during, during the dark era... Uh, well, what's going to happen to them? And you know, because they handle Ahsoka's plotline so well, I really want to know how they write the fact that they are clearly not going to be there by the time A New Hope comes around. How do you do that? You know, are these characters who we're going to be invested in for seasons are they going to die? Is that the resolution? And I think there's a good there's a good possibility that's exactly what they're going to do. And I, I'm fascinated to see how they get to the end of that. I'm kind of frustrated that I have to wait probably five seasons to find out. Like, How do they bring this into land and I'm, I'm engaged in that way again because I know when the shoe drops, you know, this isn't going to be, you know, something dark is, is going to happen. Can Will they now, Will they have the guts to do what they did with Ahsoka and give her a, you know, the the darkest possible timeline resolution to the plot line? <laughs> okay, theatrical. Go. Okay, theatrical. Now, it's funny. There's a lot of franchises I've liked over the years, but most of the ones I've truly loved just aren't giving me a lot of hope lately. And yes, that includes Star Wars. There's, I don't think J.J. Abrams is a new hope. I think, yeah, I'd like it to work, but I don't think it's going to, quite frankly. I think it's going to be fan service. I, I think it will be, too. Because yeah. if it's anything like you did with Star Trek, it's going to be fan service. Fan service for, for fans he doesn't understand. Yeah, fan service yeah. for fans he doesn't understand. Although, that being said, he said he was never a Trekkie. 
Uh, he was, however, a Star Wars fan, so maybe he is the right fan for this. I don't know. Hard to say. But I don't really care. I'm at the point, like, I'm sorry. For me, the milk got soured, and I'm like, yeah, I just don't really care that much about that. Obviously, nobody cares what happens with Indiana Jones anymore. I mean, there's a lot of series like that. James Bond is always going to be alternately fun and uh, fun to lame. I think you know, different actors and different people show run, uh, running it, and it's going to sometimes it's going to be great like it is right now. Sometimes it's going to suck, but it's not like one long continuing story the way that a lot of other things are. For me, it's it's got to be the Marvel the films. You yep. know, I mean, it's the only one that seems to have that big of a long term plan and is really taking care in trying to like not only figure everything out along the way, but have backup plans and think case parts of it don't work. Yeah. Being very sensible about the way they're putting together their universe. So, yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated. I mean, this is nobody's ever done anything like what Marvel's doing, at least not with any serious success. And so, with two TV series hanging off it as well. Yeah, no, more than that. Yeah. No, you forgot about the the Netflix Oh, show. yes. Four like the, on four. Netflix, two on network. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I, I will add as a, because that's mine as, that my, my one as well, but I will mm. add as a, a side note, I'm quietly optimistic that uh, Fox may finally have got their heads out of their asses when it comes to the X-Men franchise and yeah. I'm, you know, I, I really desperately hope that after Days of Future Past that they manage to get their shit really together for um, uh, the, the Age X-Men, of Apocalypse Age of Apocalypse um, you, you know they've, they've greenlit Deadpool I really want to see a well done X-Force movie which I know is next up no, on, on, I, on Doc I have more hope with Fox's take on uh, their superhero characters than I do with uh uh, Warner Brothers take on the DC characters, you know. I love like, that Matt Vaughn called them out today, called DC out completely, and went, "You don't have to be miserable all the time." Right. And I'm like, thank you, Matt Vaughn. Not not everything you do is great, but yeah, you really saw through their bullshit. So. Agreed. Yeah. And and Fox had the most profitable year in studio history last year. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was like I can't remember what the number was, but it was like ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and yet. And yet. And yet, they they still may let us down. I mean, I'm not going to yeah. let them off the hook for um, for Wolverine Origins. You can't get that big of a company without like there be and that many without a, the feeling there's a singular person in charge of like that franchise and not feel like the producers' notes aren't going to come in fast and furious. You yeah. know, whereas Marvel seems to have it like they seem insulated from all that to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, close up the letterbox and head over to the reason you came here for the first place. And we're going to start right off with uh, a big action movie title I know all you guys have been looking forward to hearing about, and that, of course, is Elsa and Fred. (laughs) (laughs) So you really thought I was talking about an action movie there. That's good. Uh, No, Elsa and Fred is not an action movie. It is a sweet romance about two old folks, two respected old actors who hit every single cliche there is on the uh, tree of romantic comedy cliches and looks charming hitting them on their way down. Yeah. This is actually a remake of a 2005 Argentinian um, old people romantic comedy, uh, Elsa y Fred. Uh... (laughs) My apologies to all Portuguese speakers what, Elsa, in the world. Elsa eats Fred. That sounds like a better film. That's the porn spoof. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, 
This is uh, Christopher Plummer as grumpy old Fred, who is an old white guy living in the garden district of New Orleans and has been moved into this nice new apartment after his wife died by his daughter and her, her conniving son-in-law. Uh, you know, and he's basically being sent there as like holding pattern for the afterlife, which honestly, if you're old and don't really like people, the, the garden district of <laughs> New Orleans is not a, per- a bad place to it's be. It's a perfect a, place for you. It's really, it's really very yeah, good. Marsha Gay Hard- Harden plays his like, Ugh, exasperated daughter, and he is just the very definition of a grumpy old man. And, he and wants Chris nothing... Noth as the, as the slightly sleazy son-in-law. Right? He wants nothing to do with life. Nothing to do with it. He just wants to be left alone t- so he can die in peace. The only thing is he's not dying, so it's just all inconvenient and irritates him. Yeah. Uh, and he, he falls in with his... his crazy, wackadoodle, light-spirited um, neighbor, Elsa, played by... Who else Crazy wackadoodle. Who else? <laughs> like Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, uh, who is the daughter of Scott Bakula? So uh, she's the Ziggy. We no, the mother of Scott Bakula. Oh, I'm sorry, not the daughter of Boy. It's not well, Freaky no, Friday. No, no. If he was uh, the character from Quantum Leap, she, he could be. Or, or if this was Freaky Friday. Or if it was Freaky Friday. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. He is. He is her her son. So it's basically Dharma and Greg with angina. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, they, you know, I mean, she starts charming him, even though she herself, had, like, she's like, oh, embrace his life, even though she is dying and uh, and has a problem with being a pathological liar. Yeah. But she only lies about stuff to uh, either make other people happy or to be live her fantasy-prone existence. And some of the more entertaining parts in here are where Fred is like, I mean, there's this moment in here where he's like, you know what? Does it matter at this point? Yeah. You know, the, old, tr- fuck the you. truth is she makes me really happy. And I've always been a pragma- pragmatic person. But is there why should I be now? Yeah. You know, and uh, the only thing that the only person I wouldn't, you know, you go, oh, this is a great movie to watch with your parents, except it's not. Yeah. And I'll tell you why, because they're going to watch this movie and go. What the fuck am I saving money for my kids for? <laughs> <laughs> My only my only problem with this is just a personal one that I don't like Shirley MacLaine. I, I find it kind of off putting. Uh-huh. I just always feel her Shirley, Shirley MacLaine ness coming you through. You really don't like Shirley MacLaine? Yeah, I, you don't I, like the apartment? I like I like the apartment. That's pretty much the last thing she did that I liked. Uh, I, like contemporary Shirley MacLaine, I just find a little bit well, off putting. Yeah. yeah, but she started. Uh, but that's doing just me. All that I mean, like, new agey you, nonsense. Yeah, and you're if you like, like oh, Shirley MacLaine, up. then you 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 will like this. It you know this is this is charming enough. Uh, Christopher Plummer is you know just should be given more to do because he's yeah. still great. Did you know that uh, William Shatner uh, got his big break as uh, Christopher Plummer's understudy? And what? Um. I, I think it was Hamlet. Huh. No, it wasn't Hamlet. It was uh, Much to Do About Nothing. I did not myself. know that. Yeah. Did you know that uh, that uh, William Shatner had sex with my girlfriend's grandmother? Nice. At least, maybe. She's <laughs> like one of those, a lady doesn't tell. Or you're like, oh my God, he totally did. You? Totally did. <laughs> That's, that, is, that is the best story I've heard today. No, this is, uh, yeah, this is charming. Um, there's going to be some people that will complain that uh, it's a very white version of New Orleans. I'm sorry, it's the Garden District, which is a very white version of New Orleans anyway to begin yeah. with. I mean, it's the, it's the white middle class bit of New Orleans. So it's actually that, you know, it, I'll get that out of the way and say that's actually, having spent time there, that's kind of accurate. It's very um, accurate, yeah. Yeah, this is the, the nice white upper upper middle class version of, of New Orleans, which of traditional New Orleans, which is, is undeniably there. Um, yeah, affable enough. 
Yeah. Uh, no great I mean, shakes. There's some great. There's a great long sequence where she's fixated with La Dolce Vita. Yes. And that is actually really rather yeah. fun. Towards the end, it was funny. There were a lot of critics who specifically called out that sequence towards the end as being too much and too cloying. And I was like, if that didn't charm you, then you shouldn't watch these kind of movies in the yeah. first place. Because to me, that was like, yes, we knew from the beginning this was going to happen, and it was wildly satisfying watching it actually happen. Yeah, that'd be like getting angry at the end of when Harry met Sally or, right. or, or Sleepless in Seattle. It's like, you know that big that big romantic scene is coming, and, and, and screw you if you're not going to enjoy it. Um, this It does end differently to the the original Argentinian oh, version. Oh, really? Okay. There, there is a subtle change that is um, kind of interesting and significant. Uh, and, I, and I think it'd be interesting for people who've seen both there to get their read on on how this plays differently. But yeah, the, the end is is different. I won't spoil it, but there, there, is, a, there is a change uh, that, that is quite... It, it makes you look at Elsa in, very different, in a very different way, but... You know, Plummer is just uh, this is Plummer's film for my for my money. He is so grumpy and, and cantankerous that it, it's really one of the best things and, and that he's done McLean, in a very long time. Arguably, McLean overplays the you know bubbly, effervescent uh, Elsa here to the point where you're like, okay, come on, this is very Hollywood screenplay writing with like where she's in the car and turns on hip hop music and is like bebopping along to it, and you're just like, yeah, probably not. She does, however, have one great sequence where um, she wants to apply for dance lessons, mm. and the manager is basically like, "Don't let her apply because, like, she's old and may have a heart attack." And she delivers this wonderful, sweet old lady vitriolic speech that is beautiful. It's yeah, one of my favorite moments so far this year. Although we're early in the year, so you know, I could hate it by the end. <laughs> I but know. It's, it, it's but not it's, even through it January. Really is, it really is great. But yeah, I mean, yeah, this is kind of you know. OAP Dharma and Greg with it with the the Grim Reaper hanging over it, but you know it's 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 charming. Yeah, it's um, cute for what it is. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to something I wouldn't describe as charming, but I would describe ultimately as pretty fun, although maybe not as great as our own Brian Salisbury describes it, and that is the updated version in theater form of The Equalizer, directed by Anton Fuqua. Okay, I'll let you start because I'll be in on this in a moment because I've got... um, Alright, starring starring Denzel Washington as the the role originally played by Edward Woodward in a television series. And the idea here is uh, basically that Tony Scott is dead and so Denzel Washington has to ask other people to make his movies now. But... Anton Fuqua seems like the right guy for him to regularly work with, I guess. I guess. Yep. And The Equalizer is for revenge pick. You know what? The, the most disappointing thing about this film is, sad thing is it came out the same year as John Wick. Yes. Because this film would be a lot better if we hadn't just seen a film that blows it out of the fucking water yeah. like John the Wick. Be- the best revenge film of the past few years. <laughs> <laughs> the best revenge is a John Wick served cold. <laughs> um, and... If this film has a strength that you can pull out above and beyond anything else, it's Denzel Washington. And it knows it. It's a completely a Denzel Washington piece. No one else is important in this film other than him. And the way when he wants to playing the silent, efficient badass. I, no, I will say the is, other star of this is uh, Anton Fuqua's uh, direction. Yeah. I think it, it, this is... He clearly is channeling his inner Tony Scott, which is not a bad thing for this film. You know, right. This isn't Training Day, Anton Fuqua. No. This is, this is Fuqua you know, doing a, a kind of slick, 
vengeance thriller uh, and doing it extremely well. Yeah, no, no question about that as well. If there's a problem, ultimately it comes with a script writer here, and and but we'll get to that. Um, Denzel Washington plays Robert McCall, or the Equalizer, as eventually they don't name him out loud, uh, who is a retired black ops government dude. We never figure out exactly what he did, but we know he was about as badass as badass gets uh, before he decided to wipe his own existence, burn notice himself, and disappear completely, where even the government assumed he was dead, his closest friends. And now he is working at a home mart, you know, a, a Home Depot, basically. Basically. Uh, and spends his his days oh, an there. Brand Home Depot. Right. He spends his days there, his uh, early nights at a small little coffee shop diner, uh, and goes home and reads. And you know, he lives a really simple existence where he's well-liked by everyone around him, but never really makes a mark out. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that guy, yeah, he's sweet. But that's about, you don't really think about him other than that. But... When this prostitute, teenage prostitute played by Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, named uh, Al- uh, Alina, is starts to get beaten up and treated shitty by her pimp, he realizes, I just, I can't stand by and watch this happen, and decides to take on the pimp in question, who turns out to be just a small part of the Russian mob and their major push into their city with all sorts of things. You know, there's one lesson I've learned from this life. It's don't piss off the Russian mob. Right. Uh, you know, unfortunately for the Russian mob, they don't know who they're fucking with. Yeah. Uh, and it ends with a series. It, it, it's a whole series of like them going, let's get this guy. And then being completely decimated by this guy by himself because he's so good at what he does. And then them trying to come back at him even bigger, uh, culminating eventually as you knew it would happen in a whole action sequence in the Home Depot in question. And this is where my problem started. And well, started and ended with this film, just the big action sequence that is like, Hey man, you know, there are guns all over the place, right? (laughs) Why are you home aloneing all these guys? Quite successfully though. I mean, yeah, but he would have been more successful if he had just shot them with his extensive knowledge and experience with guns. Yes. As opposed to, constructing elaborate traps on the fly. <laughs> I'm not going to shoot this guy with his gun with a silencer. I'm going to take a uh, power drill to the back of his head instead. Yeah. Um, okay. Here, here's my issue with this. This it is it, it, it has got a bad case of what I call Constantine syndrome. Uh, if you remember the, the film Constantine. Yes. Uh, it's, it's all right. It's, it's fine. It loses several points for the fact it is sure as fuck not Hellblazer. Right. Uh, which, which I love. I love those... The uh, comic the, books are wonderful. Yeah, I, it's nowhere near as, as as dark or mean, and it misses the point of, of the character. Um, the original series, The Equalizer, is about... It's not about this nice guy who goes to work and tries to be pleasant and is just kind of dropped out of being a, an intelligence, a, intelligence operative. Um, and the thing is, it's still... It's still Denzel. You know, I've loved Denzel Washington's work since ER. You know, the, I'm an old school Denzel fan. I didn't even realize he was on ER. Oh, yeah, that's where he got I That's where he, yeah, that. when he was like, you know, 30 pounds of muscle ago. Um, and he, you know, I, I love his work consistently through this. But this is, the character is not the equalizer. The whole point of, of uh, Edward Woodward's character, say that five times fast, <laughs> uh, is that 
he is this, you know, short, dour, aging Englishman in New York who is unspeakably deadly in a calm, quiet way. He doesn't get into big fight sequences. He picks people off one by one and destroys him. He is, under other circumstances, he would be a monster. But he has this incredible sense of right and wrong. And this isn't the Equalizer. It's, it's a really, a really lot. good revenge thriller. It's an origin story yeah. to the Equalizer. But it, no, it it's is. not even that because this in in the Equalizer, the whole point is that when he leaves the intelligence community, he is well off enough, comfortably off enough. He could just sit there in retirement and do nothing. He can't. He he is not a background player. He's always a guy who's gone. I have this incredible skill set. I'm going to use this to do good in places that nobody cares about. I am, right. you know, I am the last line of resort. It's really kind of a somewhere between the A team and Smiley's people. But you could argue that this is how he decided post I don't know, that I, career that this is what I'm going to do. But he never now. would have. Like this is the thing. I mean, he's a, he, you know, the whole point of the character is that he's a guy who has always had that degree of comfort and could have disappeared into it. This is what James Bond does when he's been cut loose. Right. This is and this isn't that. This is an ex special forces guy who who goes, "Oh no, I can still kill people whenever I feel like it." <laughs> he's never he was never going to have a normal life. He doesn't have that option. Okay. This is what he does. And I felt for me, that kind of was missing. Um, and, you know, I I am a huge fan of, of Dental Washington's action stuff. I think he made uh, an easier and cleaner transition to doing this kind of material than Liam Neeson did, who I think had a few false starts on this. Uh, I love Man on Fire. I think it's one of the, one of the under, underestimated. It's one of my favorite bro- uh, movies by either of the Scott brothers. I'll right. say that. Much. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think that this this is really good. It's just not the equalizer. Right. I, I will go uh, for Denzel Washington films. Uh, probably Man on Fire and Fallen are my two favorites. Mm. Absolutely wonderful little gem that's often underlooked. Overlooked. Underlooked? And, and, Under, underlooked. Under Michael, <laughs> Michael Madsen did a, a, a series that was basically a, a reboot of, of The Equalizer. I can't remember the name of it. but it, Really? Yeah, and he plays this, this guy who is... He's basically Mr. If Mr. Blonde wasn't evil, uh, and there's this great sequence in it where he's you know he goes to torture these these two guys that he's got, and he goes into one room with a chainsaw, and comes back just and talks to the other guy just covered in blood, mm. and you're like, holy shit, he just cut that other guy to death with a chainsaw, and, he, and the other guy goes, fuck, I'll tell you whatever whatever you want, and the other guy's just in the other room, you know, with the side of beef that's been carved up, <laughs> and he like gaffer tape across his mouth, and you go. This is a sociopath who loves doing what he's doing and fortunately is on the side of the angels. And it's kind of closer to that. I can see that. Than the, the equalizer. I, I just kind of miss that kind of like, you know, that sense. This is a, a, a man who is moral at every level, whereas Edward Woods' character isn't that moral. Right. He's uh, kind of the, a, like you said, he's kind of a sociopath on the side of the angels. I think the best thing about this is actually the uh, the. The Russian enforcer, the chief, the chief Russian guy that the mob uh, sends after yeah, him. Yeah, who even though he's not the head of the mob, yeah. he is the villain in this film. Martin uh, Kosokas, who is just a great, malevolent heavy, and there's some wonderful exchanges between him and, and Denzel Washington, which is hard to do. It's hard for anybody to hang with Denzel, but there's a great sequence where they're just, you know, you, it's it's two uh, predators just kind of staring each other out and just trying to work out who the other one is and it's it's a really lovely little sequence now uh Kisoka's, i think is is 
after Denzel doing what Denzel does really well and Antonio Fuqua doing what he does increasingly well, uh, I, I think he's the best thing about this. And I, I really want to see him in more stuff because I think he was he was great. Uh, agreed with you. Like I said, I I don't have the same problem you do with the adaptation of the show because honestly, I've only seen a few episodes of the show, and yeah. so it doesn't hold a real strong place in my heart. All I can do is judge this movie on its own graces or not. And on that, I don't think it's a hundred percent because, like I said, if your big climactic scene has a, a serious problem with it, <laughs> you're like you've kind of screwed up the action movie in, in question. But like that's really a suspension of disbelief thing where you're like, well, you wait, I, why would you do that? I mean, is he just that arrogant? I think so. <laughs> Plus, Chloe Grace, Grace Moretz, who is supposed to be the trigger for this, basically disappears for you know the middle she's, two and a half acts. Yeah, yeah, she's gone for um, until like the last five minutes of this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's fun enough. Uh, it, it, it's it's no Den- John Wick. It's a Denzel Denzel show. Watching Denzel be absolutely charming and likable and super badass and everything that he's great at doing. And if you like Denzel, this is a movie you're going to really like. It's one of his better films doing this kind of character we've seen in some time. But no, it's no John Wick. No. Uh, it comes with a bunch of extras, including something called Vengeance Mode, which is a you know, PIP, uh, picture-in-picture, uh, making a behind-the-scenes commentary track that cuts into the movie to show you full-screen features, interviews with Denzel Washington, Do you remember the Infinity, the Infinity Mode thing that they used to do with some films, where it was suddenly oh. drop into something? It's, yeah. it's that. Well, they, I mean, they do that. with They call it different things with different things sometimes they don't give it a cute name at all they just call it pip mode pip picture in picture yeah a lot of movies have it um i'm surprised they did it with the equalizer but, yeah you know it's it, like about three or four years ago it was huge like every re-release and everything was it was like you had to have a picture in picture thing it's basically commentary for people who want video as well the best example of that and I, I, i'm going to point this out because i was thinking about this earlier when i when i because i watched on vengeance mode which was kind of you know like meh. um uh 13 days has absolutely the best version of this because it takes a two-hour movie and adds in an extra two hours of behind-the-scenes documentary and historical context. And it's really phenomenal. Oh, it right really is one worth worth seeking. Seek down the, the really good edition, which has got all that stuff in it. If I remember correctly, one of the re-releases, The Matrix, had a really good one where it would go to, okay, now let's see the training sessions for these incredible martial arts sequences. So you could really see this was not two CG figures fighting each other. These were real people who were put on wire work, who did as much practical work as we could do which was not what you expect in a movie that was about being inside a computer oh, i wish you could say the same for the ten, the second two films i wish you could yeah yeah and that was pretty much all cg people uh anyway also inside the equalizer a look at bringing the tv show to the screen and the title but of course it focuses mainly on denzel washington is denzel washington a different kind of superhero i uh, uh, equalizer vision anton fuqua Children of the Night, which takes a look at Chloe Gross Moretz. And, you know, it would have been more interesting if this was actually one of those little, let's take a look at how big a problem this is in the real world, which it really is about child, you know, prostitution. It really is, you know, yeah, a terrifyingly huge problem. <laughs> like it, it would have been a bit, a bit of a downer for an action film to include that, I've got to say, so I can see why they didn't. But yeah, yeah like, it would be actually very good for them to have It would be appropriate that. here yes. to see that. Um, one-man army training and fighting, looking at the, the fight choreography, what have you. Home Mart taking care of business one bolt at a time, which is a little fake store promo thing. Photo galleries, previews, overall, a pretty solid release. Yeah. 
All right, now let's talk about something that was not a pretty solid release. So not solid that they couldn't even finish the goddamn thing without begging people for money. And I hope those people were pissed when they saw the finished project. That thing is the American romantic action comedy crime drama written and directed by John Herzfeld called Reach Me. Now, this film has so many recognizable names in it that there was almost no room on the cover to fit anything but names of people who are in this film. There's like, probably quite a few who demanded the names be taken off right? as well. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, K- uh, Kyra Sedgwick, Thomas Jane, Lauren Cohen, Kelsey Grammer, Kevin Connolly, Tom Berenger, Nelly, uh, Omari Hardwick, Terry Crews, Danny Trejo, Danny Aiello, uh, Elizabeth Henstridge. I mean, this is a huge cast of people in this film. The very hot Rebecca Cheney, who I didn't realize I had seen in other things, yep. and was like, good lord, look at her. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Quanton, who's actually probably the best thing. <laughs> no, but this, oh my god! Okay, I, let me, let me, let me. You, let me, you take it. You okay. take it. I'll sit here and try uh, and recover from yeah. thinking about Remember, it. Remember uh, back in the nineties uh, when John Hertzfeld went, "Hey, these kind of like." interweaved anthology things that Tarantino's doing really well. I'm going to rip that off and do uh, Two Days in the Valley. Oh, was that him? Yes. Oh, good So seemingly what happened here was that he watched Crash and went, ooh, I'm going to rip that off. This is a low-budget, no-hope version of Crash. Holy hell. I don't even know if I can give it that much credit. This is is, uh, just... Unbelievably bad. Our basic idea (laughs) is that some mysterious guy writes a self-help book which is filled with the dumbest aphorisms you've ever ever read in your your life yeah, all you it's can so ass- bad it's like it might be a spoof all you can assume is that the stuff they're not reading is the good stuff yeah because like this everything like Jack we hear, stuff yeah everything we hear comes out of the hallmark factory yeah I, it's like the random random garbage generator but he has disappeared nobody knows who this guy is uh apart from his manager uh, his publicist, his editor, and everybody who does know who he is. Um, <laughs> right. The whole group of people who do know who he is. And there's just this random group of people, all of whom have been influenced by this book. So Kyra Sedgwick, who set a house on fire. Um, and Thomas Jane, who just seems to be an insane guy with a gun and red pants. No, he's for a, no readily apparent reason. He's a guy from a really terrible, cliched 80s cop movie yeah. who... It's never revealed why he's in this and why this is in the real world. I kept thinking they were going to take his sequences and there'd be a trick at the end. He goes, aha, he was never a real character. He was just an actor in a movie. Nope. And all we were showing you was the scenes from that movie he was in. Nope. Nope. Uh, nope. They want you to believe it's true. Sylvester Stallone is basically uh, Andrew Breitbart, this this kind of evil web publisher who you know, yells at people all the time. And he is, <laughs> by the way... The best thing about this film, and yet given arguably, nothing uh, but still terrible. Given nothing significant to do. No, he has one great scene where basically he's angry at his canvas, which is actually quite fun. Right. Uh, the rest of it is, it's just basically the you know, oh, at some point all these plots are going to intersect, and you're going to find out who the person who wrote this book is. And every single moment where this film thinks it's doing something profound or interesting, it's doing something shallow. And boring. Yep. This is consistently the most disappointing film possible because there is nothing ingenious, creative, interesting, or worth any of these people's time. This is one of these movies where you legitimately go, I don't know 
what photos Hertzfeld has of these people. Right. But clearly, you know, the goats must have been underage. This is <laughs> bafflingly bad for the talent pool that is in there. It's like the most shallow, poorly thought out excuse for a self-help movie ever made yeah. in some ways. And like, all right, you know what baffles me here? Like, there's a lot of stuff to be baffled by. But what really got under my skin is... The whole idea is that this book is about, like, overcoming your fear and going for what you want anyway. And the film's crux is hangs on for a while. It's not like a surprise. It's like you, we know early on that the guy who wrote it is terrified of crowds. And if he's going to reveal himself, he has to deal with his fear of crowds. And you're like, so he's a hypocrite is what you're saying. Yeah. So why does anything matter? Why does this, is there, shouldn't this come, if he is a hypocrite, shouldn't that play into the plot at some point where it's like, oh, you're just a fraud? No, it's like a series, like when we do find out who he is, is a series of people like going, I don't believe who you are. Oh my God, now I believe who you are. I don't. This I, is I don't like, believe. This is like. I don't want to believe. Atlas Shrugged rewritten from being a, a terrible political uh, allegory to being a, a shitty ensemble rom-com. This is... It's more like dig Digital Noise Shrugged. We're like, oh, no thanks. It, 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 Atlas flubbed. Yeah. This is stultifyingly bad. Yeah. And yet, I will say, in its defense, not actually the worst film I saw this week. Nope. 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 We're gonna, Close. We, I, one of the two ones we do next will fit into that category. Oh. And I myself, I'm like, I feel like we won't even do the pick of the week. We'll do the nose pick of the week. Oh, or my something. God. The, the, like, I mean, this is... You'll know the pick of the week when we get to it. It's a no-brainer if you've looked at what we're what titles we're reviewing, I think. But, uh, you know, the more edge of your seat question is what is actually the, the worst, worst thing we this is, this was a, This was very close, but not quite. Yeah, oh my God. And uh, not even any bonus features. You'd think if it's funded by a Kickstarter, they would at least put some bonus features on the fucking home release, which is all they got of this thing. But nope. Nope. Nothing. The best thing about this about this release is the trailer for uh, Automator. By far. <laughs> right, by that's far, true. Which is a much better film. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, this is... Now, God, you know what the best thing about this release pile. is? It's not the next film we're reviewing, which I found even worse, which was Lifetime Network's The Britney Murphy Story. Oh, Lifetime Network. <laughs> From hell's heart, I stab at thee. You know what? I only asked for this fucking thing because I knew you were going to ask me to. Oh, you fucker. Yeah, I, oh, we, we, you watched this because of you. You have no one else to blame I but have, I, I got to say... Um, after uh, Flowers in the Attic and Petals in the Wind uh -huh. uh, convinced me that Lifetime is just a, a, a gaping, suppurating wound that occasionally I must stick my finger into out of morbid fascination. Sure, it's a scab uh, you got to pick at. The, wow. Um, Brittany Murphy was a, a talented, quirky actress who... You know, her early career had some amazing potential. She got past being the comedy sidekick friend um, on Clueless and went on to do some really strong work, uh, performed on Broadway, uh, and then her life kind of falls apart. Um, she made some poor decisions in her personal life. And then the worst possible thing that could happen is that after she died, they made this film. Yep. Oh, my God. Uh... Amanda Fuller, uh, in a succession of terrible wigs, 
<laughs> yes. Oh my uh, god. So cheap. You think if Lifetime could do anything right, it would be to get like good hair and makeup people? No. 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 They clearly don't care. Uh, plays Brittany Murphy in a script that pretty much ignores 90% of what she did. And, and kind of, it's weird because it wants to talk about how successful she was and then the decline and when, you know, when she became ill and the depression really started to get to her, uh, and her, you know, some of her questionable life choices. Um, and it doesn't, it just goes, she was in Clueless, then she fucked Ashton Kutcher. Uh, then nothing happened. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, this is. She uh, had she had some great performances, completely ignoring the you know King of the Hill. This is where she was a recurrent character for years. This is like a, a biography movie uh, by way of the covers of People magazine. You you glance at at the checkout aisle. Yeah, it is not as trashy as it should have been to get away with that. Like if you want to go full on, like we are just trash. It basically like it's clueless Kutcher dead. Yeah. And the just really unpleasant performance by the actor they have to play the guy who eventually became her husband, uh, Eric Peterson, who plays Simon uh, Monjack, who who also died, who died like a year after she did in a very similar way of the same thing. And now apparently there really is like a lawsuits and a conspiracy that there was like either they were both murdered by someone in their family or that there was some sort of like like mold in their house or yeah, something. Which can kill you. Yeah, which, I don't know, but there's still shit going on about this. Like, come on, that can't be a coincidence, right? That they yeah. both died of the same thing in the same house of an, this illness that they're not sure how they got in the first place. And apparent, according to this movie, the accusations of her being having problems with drugs are complete bullshit. Yeah. Which is surprising because you think if anybody was going to go with, fuck it, let's show her doing coke and partying, yeah. it would have been the Lifetime Network. But no, she's an angel yeah. according to this film. She's at her worst kind of stupid and naive. <laughs> like she's not even de- and depressed and depressed but yeah. you know honestly bad as this film is there is a certain moment where you have to point to Amanda Fuller and blame her for this yeah because about halfway through she clearly doesn't give a shit about doing anything about this story and just kind of does this no. big weepy dramatic stuff that I'm like you know you're, you're playing a real person here and I think you should have a little bit more respect and I think the the script is abysmal. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, like I said, be missing uh, like really just goes. Oh, she was in Clueless and like had some big roles, and uh, it mentions one or two of them, but ignores that the fact that between about two thousand and two thousand five, she was really hugely successful, and you know it basically mentions you know that, that terrible uh, married you know we we just met and had sex and got married movies did with Ashton Kutcher and ignores all the good shit she did and she did some really good stuff in that period I'm like you fuckers don't you, you shouldn't be allowed to make films because this is this is an insult to the memory of an actress of great potential who died tragically young yeah and I'm like you yeah, you guys really need to think about your fucking choices. And they're uh, doing the uh, uh, Whitney Houston story coming up, I believe. Bye! Kick ass! Yeah, so there's that. Um, it's not just that. It's that, and this is across the line with Lifetime movies. They make their films at that they stop researching at the point where you've just decided what scenes are going to be in the film, and that's as far as they go. And they go, okay, shoot it. Yeah. Like, what... You know what? There's no sense that any scene plays directly into the next scene or continuity at all. I mean, you could put a different actress in every scene, and you wouldn't. It wouldn't really make that much difference. There, there is no sense of narrative. 
Yes. That's the thing. Uh, there, is, there is another... Segmented. Bio- yeah, you compare it to uh, certain other biopics <laughs> during the rounds of the moment, which have an idea of, like, you have to have a theme, and it has to go somewhere. Yes. It has to mean something. It has to add up to something. This doesn't. This is the ultimate idea of a life as just a series of unrelated events that are memorable. Uh, and also, uh, oh, sweet Moses, uh, there is a moment... <laughs> On the set of, of um, uh, Clueless, where the actress uh, who is supposed to be playing Alicia Silverstone turns up. Who has the worst wig in the whole movie. The worst not wig saying something. In not just the whole movie. It's rare you see this bad a wig outside of a porn spoof. That's true. <laughs> it, it, it really... She clearly didn't even bother putting, like, the bald cap on to put this on. In fact, yeah. she may have got a perm beforehand so she could put it on even more uncomfortably. Right, right. And it, I'm pretty sure it was actually made out of old shoelaces, dyed blonde. It's just... It's like, hold on, stop the movie bad. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't even kind of the enthralling kind of horror of, of the Flowers in the Attic <laughs> franchise, which is still my go-to for well, of the year. But these are these quickly. are whoa. I mean, that, that's the same type of filmmaking, except that the actual story is like trying to tell the most ridiculous. It's like trying to tell ten years of a soap opera in an hour and a half. So therefore, entertaining by default. This is just. It's like it took out everything that could be interesting and went to just, you know eye-catching headlines that don't actually have anything behind it to say. Yeah. You know. This is this is just everybody involved should be ashamed. The, really just ashamed of themselves. This is I will say the guy who played film. Ashton Kutcher was the best performer in this entire film. Oh yeah, he like, actually he actually nails Ashton Kutcher pretty he, well. He he does. And you actually believe he's a real person, which is more you can say than <laughs> any <laughs> other performance. It's more you can say about Ashton Kutcher. Uh, yeah, more you can say about Ashton Kutcher, it's true. Sherilyn uh, Fenn is in this and does not appear to give a fuck. I mean, my God, she didn't even like there's she didn't even diet to play young Sharon Murphy. Yeah. You know, there's the point you it starts with her as older Sharon. Murphy, you're like, oh, what? she looks like she's wearing a fat suit. You're like, okay, well, they're probably going to go to the younger her, and then she'll be like, oh, she was wearing a fat suit. Nope. Nope. Just had lots of sandwiches that week. No, it's, this is just... Nobody cared. Nobody gave a fuck. Nobody gave a fuck. <laughs> this is the ultimate. The checks have cleared, and we know that we will sell a certain amount of DVDs, and you know, Lifetime will sell a certain amount of advertising, and for that, you should all rot in hell. Uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling they made this from start to finish in a week. And that might be being optimistic. Oh, and also, yeah, there's, I, 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 yeah as I pointed out uh, on, uh, here, uh, there was a big fucking lie in this film. There was a huge fucking lie, which is absolutely insult. which is like, you know, they're saying, oh, we're trying to be oh, sensitive yeah. to, her, to her memory. And they t- said something that was denigrating towards her that yeah. wasn't even true. That she got, saying that she got fired from Happy Feet 2. No. Which is not true. No, she got... They recast because she died. She, the, only way she could, the only way she would have... The context she would have gotten fired is if the Grim Reaper was a producer on the yeah. film. The, the the truth is that this is a film which tries to take high-grounded moral pot shots at tabloids and the paparazzi. And this is the worst example of tabloid cinema imaginable. This really is a fuck you... Uh, a moment for lifetime. This is this is shameful. And shameful. I will say this is my pick of the nose of the week. Oh yeah, this is the it, worst thing of the three really bad ones. This we're is, it is going to be week. really hard for there to be a worse, a worse thing that is competently made. Um, and there's, we're probably going to see things over the year, over the year, which are 
you know, kind of just inept. Yeah. Uh, but this is people who clearly know better and don't give a fuck. Don't give a fuck at all. That's yeah. the Lifetime. It seems to be the Lifetime ne- Network's, uh, you know, way of doing things, with the exception of that one television series they have about witches, which is surprisingly entertaining. Oh, uh, which was that? Uh, I'm forgetting the name of it right now. It's also got somebody from Twin Peaks in it, uh, but... Uh, uh, is that witches? Some. Uh, Witches of something, yeah. Uh, witches of Salem? Uh, it's not Salem. That's it's not a totally Salem, which is, which is kind of barking mad and entertaining. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but it's, I've heard it's that. It's barking mad and entertaining. Right. It makes no sense, but it's kind of, kind of cool. No, it's, a, it's another one. It's got a, a French actress in the lead. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, on the name it's, of it. it's not Witches of Eastwick, but it feels yeah. like it was. And we reviewed it, and I was like, I can't believe that I actually enjoyed this a lot more than The Vampire Diaries, which yeah. is clearly what it's kind of ripping off. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're not reviewing that now. We are reviewing another movie that we fucking hate. Oh. And that is Kevin Smith's Tusk. I'm sorry, Kevin Smith fans. Look, if you like this movie, I don't know what to tell you, man. We are not on the same planet. Our brains do not function in the <sighs> same way. At best, I can say I didn't hate this nearly as bad as Brian Salisbury did. Or me. Or you. Or me. I, I, I hated it, but I didn't hate it as bad as you two. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> oh, he just, this, yeah, you know, his throat just exploded like a boil. Kevin Smith has now got to the point where, for him, making a film is just a dare. It's it's he's actually just trolling the entire he's trolling cinema industry. It's exactly what uh, he's doing. And I think you know, it, it's it's for a man who says that he loves films. Um, Nobody. But then again, he says that he loves he loves comics, and he he uh, produced the deeply. Uh, misogynistic and misanthropic uh, 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 comic book men, which is one of the most horrifying things I've seen on television. I was smart enough to miss it. Completely. Oh, you need to watch a couple of episodes, particularly the the ones where they try and introduce a female character, um, and just watch everything that you despise about traditional comic culture. Uh, it, it really is just straight out of the 1960s. Why do I feel it's like horrible. somewhere he's plotting to be the secret head of Comicsgate, the uh, comic book equivalent of Gamergate, only he won't actually be attached to it. He'll just prod other people. Kevin Smith it. is his own little and industry and his own little cult. And I'm, I'm, I, you know, I have nothing good to say about him at, at this point. And even the people I know occasionally say, oh, well, at least this smogcast is still funny and it's totally funny. Like going out and telling mean-spirited stories to make other people, just to look other pe- make other people look bad yeah. and to be rotten to them. I'm not even, you know, when this is what you're producing, you're making Tusk, a film that you basically had people send you ideas for a terrible film and you go and make it because you've still got just enough money and just enough clout and just enough friends who, for some unknown reason, aren't doing better things. Dear God, somebody get Justin Long away from this man right oh, now. Oh, please. Please. Because I... Like, Justin Long has had a hard go of it. Yeah. He's made some poor decisions despite being a very affable, very good comedic actor. Yeah. But boy, does he make some missteps in his career. Like, things that on paper may have seemed like a good idea, but... You know, like the Sam Raimi film he was in. It was like, on paper, it seemed like a good idea. In practice, not so much. In this, he, he really should have known better. All I can think is, like, it must have been one of those, like, deals. We'll pay you more for this other movie, but you got to appear in this Kevin Smith shit that I agreed to do. Or maybe he's just still waiting for Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers 3 Cathedral. Was to, he, to yeah, but, get. Well, I mean, he's... 
I don't know how they could even bring him back for that he, there series. Is good, well, yeah, but there's always been a, a supernatural element to that. So he is sure. apparently going to be in that. There is a, there is, oh, there really? is a way they're going to be bringing him back. Oh, my God. In some way, which are probably just flashbacks. But, you know, yeah. I, you know the, the basic idea of this is, is that uh, he and Haley Joel Osment, uh, who, dear God, has done some really good stuff this year and did this. And clearly halfway through this film, is you can see him give up. Uh, oh my they, God. they do a podcast called the Not See Party, <laughs> which is uh, that, that is that is the height of the humor here. Uh, and the whole point is that um, uh, Hello Joel Oldsman's character doesn't like traveling, so uh, Justin Long's character goes places and tells him about what he saw there, and then they're just kind of mean assholes. Yeah, it's supposed to be. It's a shock cast. They're trying to, Kevin Smith in some way is trying to draw a comparison to the Smod cast, but honestly, he never seems to go to as much trouble as these guys do, at least. But the idea that, like, oh, it's funny because you never know what they're going to say. They're going to be offensive, but it's not offensive because everything's offensive. That only works if you're brilliant like Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Yeah. Kevin Smith decidedly is not, and nor are the people on this podcast who never say or do one even mildly amusing thing yeah. during these times that we're supposed to be clearly laughing hysterically with them. Um, this uh, launching this film with, hey, this is for the fans. Yeah, I, I mean, it couldn't say it any more clearly. This is for the fans. This is like you Terry Gilliam coming out and apologizing at the beginning of, of Tideland. Right. It really, it's that, it's that level of, oh, this is just for people who are going to like it anyway. I'm not, I don't even care about the rest of you. Uh, so, I'm a yeah. huge Terry Gilliam fan, and I hated Tide. Oh, uh, yeah, with a deep did. passion. And the fact that he, yeah, the whole intro of like, no, it's all right, it's all, no, don't leave, like. But yeah. so, so <laughs> we is, haven't like, even it's gotten been to bad the... up to now. It's been bad and annoying and frustrating up to now, and humorless and just like, eh, so what up to now? Then. <laughs> Tim uh, Smith you. thinks that he is, suddenly decides that he is a master of horror and sends Justin Long's character up to the wilds of Manitoba uh, to try and find basically uh, the Star Wars kid. Yeah, except here they call him the Kill Bill kid. Yeah, who has cut his own leg off in one of the worst pieces of CG I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Yeah, it was baffling because so, you watch it and you go, okay, so they're laughing that it's terrible CG, but the movie's like, no, that really happened. Yeah. You're like, you couldn't have put any more work into that if that was supposed to be real? Yeah, like, clearly, like, not. And then he goes up and gets sewn into a walrus costume. Yep, yeah, That know, is... That s- it, skipping a bit, but yes. No, that's... Like, I mean, I, I will say this. There's about as much logic goes into why this happens yeah. as, as my explanation of it. I will say I this. Really, like, this oh. film teases you that maybe it is actually going to become good by introducing Michael Parks, who's a wonderful actor who gets to do a series of monologues before they turn him into basically Dieter Laser um, that are genuinely entertaining to listen to. That you're like, I would like to know this guy in real life. I would like to be this guy's friend. I would like to get to know him. Can we please hope the rest of this movie is just a series of short stories that have nothing to do with a walruses at all that are just him telling these stories to Justin Long. And Justin Long re- realizing over the length of them, holy shit, I'm a shallow little 20-something dickhead. But no, what you get is he turns into Dieter Laser from uh, Human Centipede, basically, and sews him in his own skin into a walrus suit, as everyone knows by now. Yes, that would be a spoiler if nobody knew anything about this movie, but we all know that. Yeah, that and was the selling point. That was the pitch. It's not, it doesn't work because it's absurd. It fails because it's absurd and 
totally useless. Yeah. It never does anything with it that's fun or surprising. The only thing surprising is that there's a coda at the very end of it that makes you go, well, now you're officially saying this whole thing is pretty much just a dream because that makes no sense for anybody to behave that way ever. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I don't know what he was thinking at all, except that, you know, I've got pictures of uh, Michael Parks having sex with someone who's not his wife or something, and so I get to work with him. Yeah. He's going to have to do whatever I tell him to. I, I, I don't understand why Michael Park came back to him after um, Red State. Yeah, Red State was atrocious. No, this is this continues the, the, the proof that Kevin Smith is not a film director. Yeah. You know, he got lucky. Early on, I because think... because he made he made a little independent movie that was kind of fun and kind of entertaining, and actually in in some places you go back and go, there's a couple of jokes you can't actually tell what's going on. Yeah. You know, it's it's a nice art school piece. Yeah, uh, and he got the right people in his corner. And as time has gone on, we have seen more and more that he has zero ideas. That he goes back on what he's going to say. That he thinks he's a master manipulator, and he's not. He has a loyal fan base that is going to come back to him time and time again. Eventually, they're going to walk away. Eventually, they're going to have other things to do with their lives. Well, they'll and hopefully go through puberty. So. Yeah, well, what happened? Well, I don't think he's getting new fans. I think he's still got the same ones that no, he had. No, I, I actually agree. You know, that. that he had from Clerks the Animated Series. It's, it's funny. You're like, you go stubborn. back now and you, you look at the earlier stuff and you realize, wow, this guy has not had a new idea in over a decade. Yeah. And his attempt to reinvent himself as at least a you know either an absurdist or quasi-serious or oddly gothic director, he does not have the chops and he's not prepared to be challenged by... Maybe if you had a a producer who would tell him no consistently, maybe there'd be something in there, but I think he is too far down this path. And, oh my God, the continued descent into hell of Johnny Depp. Oh boy, this is... I mean, even for Johnny Depp of his usual, I'm going to play a wacky character, this is a... Half thought, half asked, barely thought out representation as he plays this French. He said French with a question Canadian, mark, French Canadian, like g- detective who slips into something like eight different accents of the length of this performance and has no reason to be in this film at all. This, I, this makes me shudder even more for uh, Mordecai and how terrible that it is likely to be. Uh, the the only decent things about this film, uh, uh, Haley Joel Osment, uh, yeah, who well, I think at least half of it looks like he's at least trying, trying, and yeah. I, you know, I think he's still got a yeah. He's he. What was the uh, the time travel movie he did? I keep forgetting the name of it. We both really which liked we it. We both really loved. Yeah. Uh, I'll follow you. Yeah, yeah. That's which it. Uh, you know, he's really strong in. That's a really good performance. And um, uh, the actress that plays uh, the girlfriend. Ah. Uh, uh, hold on, I'm sc- uh, I'm scanning to the cast. Uh, Genesis, Genesis Rodriguez, Rodriguez, who has a a really nice kind of two minute monologue to camera, which is really really strong. And there's a, you know she's they're the best. They're, not even the best things about this. They're the only things that I even remotely care about with the rest of this movie. This, this is and lazy. Michael film Parks. Made. Yeah. Well, no, I Until... like care about Michael Parks, and then he just goes. The first half of his sequence in this film is great. The second half is total nonsense and has no purpose being here. This is this is a shit the bed movie. Yep, and like it's bad even for Kevin Smith. Yeah, 
Um, but if you're one of those people who's just angry at us right now, how dare you? You guys just don't understand. You shouldn't, you have to, you're very close minded. I've actually told me, somebody has actually told me before that I was bigoted against Kevin Smith. Like, like that Kevin Smith was like a race or a religion or something. And that I was just a bigot against Kevin Smith. I got accused of that once that I loved that until the Southern poverty law center described (laughs) us as a hate group for not liking Kevin Smith. I think we will take that bullshit under advisement. Thank you very much. Hey bro. I'm head of the Kevin Smith anti-defamation league. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, This comes with a commentary with Kevin Smith. Big shocker there because he doesn't know how to stop talking. Uh, 20 years to Tusk, a 30 minute uh, mini documentary that details the quote sometimes tortured path Smith took to get the film completed should have been more torture <laughs> I want to actually see footage of him being tortured for, for making this <sighs> something to make it worthwhile a shit ton of little miniature featurettes uh, including of course he's got to throw Jason Muse in there at one point because uh, the, talk about somebody else in his life who's talentless yeah <laughs> Um, a Smodcast episode that's apparently that says it's the original podcast that started the Tusk Ball rolling called The Walrus and the Carpenter and two deleted scenes. Um, I guess if you're such a Kevin Smith fan that you like this movie anyway, that they put together a pretty solid package of stuff to go with it. But boy, we just aren't on the same page of, you know, life. If, if, if you like <laughs> Kevin Smith, you're going to be uh, at this point, you're going to buy this thing. There's nothing we can do. No. Uh, all we can say is that if you are... You you were on the fence about buying this? Then just don't. Just yeah. don't give him money. Don't, don't do encourage it. him. Yeah. He wants to do Wait direct mailers to his remaining fans and sell stuff that way. Fine. I do not think this man should be taking up taking up theatrical space anymore. If you have to know. Wait till it comes on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, so you're not paying for it specifically. And then afterwards, make sure you're not just you don't just watch it. Give it a one-star rating, for Christ's sake, so yeah. Netflix won't continue to buy stuff from him afterwards. Yeah. They're like, no, that sucked. That's part of why I'm disappointed in Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. horrible. Can, can we get away from the the the, the trilogy of shit pile that we have just waded through to something that makes us happy? Yes. Even though this film didn't make everybody happy. A lot of people had very mixed feelings about this, but... I found it kind of charming. I liked it a lot. Uh, Alexander Aha's Horns, based on Stephen King's son's Joe Hill's novel of the same name, with Daniel Radcliffe uh, playing a guy who has been falsely accused of the rape and murder of his girlfriend, uh, played by Juno Temple, who, after a little bit of, like, you know, basically everybody in the town, even his parents and friends, believing that, oh, come on, we know you did it. Will you please just, this is a pain in the ass, please just admit you did it so we can, everyone can move forward in their lives. Uh, he wakes up to decide, one day to discover he has actually grown horns, like big old demon-looking horns, and has got paranormal activities of a, a various kinds, but most pertinently, one that anybody who's around him is forced to be brutally honest about their actual feelings and the truth about anything. Yeah. Um, And so, of course, he uses these abilities to try and search out who the real killer is. Now, at its worst, this film is kind of uneven. Yeah. 
And it's not that hard to predict who the the killer is. I didn't see it coming, but almost everybody else I know did. Said, How did "Oh, you come not? on!" Really? I don't know. I just, yeah. I just really, I thought it was somebody else. Huh. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I thought the red herrings. Are, as a, I thought as it was one, I thought it was the big red herring character, the one who the film eventually pointed at in the big way in the third at the beginning of the third act. But then it wasn't them. But it was so red herring that that I was like, eh, right. probably not. Well, I got tricked. You, but... you. I love your innocence. <laughs> I know. I'm still sweet inside. Aww, Isn't it nice? Like candy. But I really enjoyed this. I mean, it's very. I, you know, I hate, I, I know I hate saying this. I know there's no chance Joe Hill's actually listening to this, but I don't, you never want to tell someone, oh my God, this is so much like something your dad would do. Yeah. But it is so much like something his dad would do. This is without, very Stephen King. Without the inherent hatred of all human beings. I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I think, I, I don't think King necessarily likes people. Even when, you know, everybody who comes out of a, a King book kind of survives it, traumatized beyond measure. There's almost <laughs> kind of a, Kind of a, a, a sweet morality play element to this. Okay. Um, and it's a ve- it's a very strange fusion of you know a, a detective thriller, a romance, uh, a, a tragedy, uh, and this kind of big supernatural bomb which is dropped in the middle of it with no context. You never it, there's never an explanation of why this happens to no. him. And maybe that's what bothered people the most about this film is yeah. that they wanted to have a real world. But why did that happen? I think the moment it happens, I went, it doesn't matter why it happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, at I, least for me it didn't. Yeah, I, I and I think what really makes it work for me is that you know, even though it's all told in in flashbacks, the relationship between Daniel Radcliffe's character and Juno Temple as his, as his murdered girlfriend is you know it's really you you feel like he'd go yeah no I I I don't care that I have to literally go to hell to find out what happened I love her that much and yeah. you really buy into that kind of it's still a young young love naive love kind of relationship of course but you really feel like okay I get this and it kind of takes some it takes some really interesting turns uh, without feeling like pulling it. It's pulling the rug from under you. I mean, I still think it has that sort of like what you were talking about that to some degree uh, Stephen Kingish misanthropic sense because everybody is really flawed and there's a lot of just monstrous people, people making monstrous decisions, shit, uh, that are like otherwise really normal people. You know, like uh, Heather Graham, who's this waitress who decides to not give pertinent evidence and give false evidence just because she's a fucking shallow little bitch. Yeah. You know, stuff like that that's in this, whereas you've got your two main characters who are the epitome of goodness and everything that's holy and light and true love. You know, Daniel Radcliffe and his now dead girlfriend, as we see in lots of these flashbacks, you know, I mean, she to the point that it it seems at points is like, I mean, is improbable how good she actually is. But we're seeing him... It's almost like this is the story of somebody who sees adults and doesn't want to be an adult. Yeah. Doesn't want to be like them. All these cold, bitter, untrusting, angry people around him everywhere. And just through the resistance of it, he's become so angry that he's started to be where he can't see anything but that side of them. So is by default turning into one of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, one of the best things about this is is David Morse as Juno Temple's father. Uh-huh. And... He really is wonderful. I mean, David Morse is, is is one of my favorite actors uh, today, working today, and you 
you you know you have all these sequences where everybody else is hiding who they really are um and yeah you know, when the honesty honesty comes out you see you see you know, oh, they're not that nice you know whereas when he has his honest his moments of honesty he is that bitter he yeah. is that broken this is a man who would like there is everything has been scraped away from his life and you you know it reminds you that this is not you know, it's not going to end well because you know the you know one of the central characters is already dead yeah. <laughs> in a horrible, brutal way, and whatever the resolution is, this is not going to be good. And that you know, what's he going to do? Say, oh, I, I found out what happened. Oh yes, ignore the fact that I seem to have turned into the devil officer. It's a, it's a very dark fairy tale with elements that reminded me of Witches of Eastwick a little bit. Mm. Uh, you know, there's that gross-out moments. There's the ridiculously. Uh, hyperbolic examples of good and evil uh, a fun little mystery great performance by his brother who's not yeah. given enough credit ever for anything joey anderson yeah uh who just recently is replacing um uh michael pitt on hannibal mm. uh, as mason verger on there he's taking over that role really yeah huh. uh yeah i know i thought we all thought that was very strange what happened but uh, nobody knows except michael apparently it was michael pitt's decision he didn't want to do it weird anymore. yeah which i was like yeah um other directors are going to see you quitting a show one season into it after a commitment and go, yeah, you can't trust that guy. No. <laughs> anyway, don't want to talk about that right now. Good performances generally uh, throughout this. Um, I just, I mean, it's a fairy tale. Yeah. Like I said, I think if you take it too seriously, you're going to be disappointed. But if you look at it as a very Stephen King-ish fairy tale, I think you're going to have a good time with it. I know I did. I really enjoyed seeing Daniel Radcliffe in this, who clearly is just, he's chewing up the scenery at points when he's actually full-on deviled out. Uh, those scenes where he's making people do what he wants them to are really fun. Yeah, this is good stuff. He's, he's kind of like Elijah Wood. That he, you know, he has his franchise that is going to be making money from now till the end of time, right? Uh, and those residual checks will always come in. And he seems to be being very sensible about taking some some very healthy risks. This, you know, like when he did Equus in the, in the West End. You know, he's he, like, you know, I can do this now. You know, I, I don't have to worry about no all pressure. the shit that everybody else goes through because, like, you know, the check doesn't clear for this. Who cares? He's going to be I'm set till the end of, of time. time. And and I don't think we could make this any more clear. He's going to eventually appear as Harry Potter again in a film. There's no way that's not going to happen. Because, I'm sorry, the writer is just too in love with the universe she yeah. created. <laughs> too, too in love with rewriting bits of it. They just all went down to Universal Studios to record new stuff with them as those characters for the new ride, the new Gringotts ride. That really? comes opens up this summer. Huh. Yeah. Like, there's new, like, hologram stuff in there with them and... Uh. Th- we're not done seeing him. Call me when the Star when Star Wars Park opens. I'll, I'll be okay. Now, this is, shut up. This this is yeah. This is a really really solid surprise little movie. I think it's a change of tone for uh, Aha, who uh, you know is best known for doing pretty more straightforward horror. Yeah, I, this is this is kind of smart and and sweet. Uh, yeah, this is a you know, a date movie for your favorite goths. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that'd be the best way to say it. it's not for everybody certainly, but. Um, uh, it's one of the best things Aha has done next to uh, uh, hot ten- High Tension. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I know some people hated, but I I really like good. that. No, but I, I, I'm generally, you know, more in favor of his work than, than, than opposed to. I think he's, he's, you know, even when he's doing kind of studio stuff. Yeah. You know, he's, when he's getting he's, platinum dunes, uh, I think he's, he's still then he's, he's pretty creative. And that, I, I really want to see where he goes from here because I really feel like he's trying to, he's, he's flourishing. I think when he's getting to that point where he's more of a name and he can start actually picking and choosing the type of, obviously he wants to work in horror and getting to pick 
the more creative horror stuff he wants to do is going to can't be anything but good. Uh, I think he's a very capable director who has been cautiously working his way up the ladder. And I think this also for a lot of people who don't know who Joe Hill is, I think this clearly puts him on the map and you know if you know, yeah, go read heart-shaped box go read the graphic novels lock and key you yeah, will not be disappointed if we're lucky then this means that the whoever's currently still sat vaguely on the rights to lock and key just gives them up and, and we actually get that yes we have to get the, well, the, the great tragedy that the the series never materialized after the pilot which everybody loved very true so you know i you know this i think this is a lot of people doing something interesting the way you're going to want to say oh yeah this is where this started in the, this phase of their career started agreed well, now we have reached that time of the show that you all wait for. It's the time of the show we like to call Giveaways! We got two for you, baby. Ooh. And not just your run-of-the-mill giveaway. We're not just giving you away the Blu-rays. We're giving away Blu-ray prize packages. Ooh. So you don't just get the Blu-ray, you get bonus shit as well that comes with it. But Ooh. we'll get to that as we start with the first of our giveaways this week and review the film Get On Up! The James Brown story. Well, maybe not the massive smash that they were hoping for or the, you know, anything that's breaking the rules and showing us something new that we haven't seen already because we've seen this type of thing already. Yeah. Get on up. Uh, 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 did I say it was about James Brown? Yeah. Okay. Well, by James Brown. It's directed by Ta uh, Tate Taylor and brought to you by the Brian Grazer Foundation, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is a fun, musically well-performed biopic of, of Brown, ultimately. Yeah. I think it's relatively balanced with showing the bad to the good that existed inside this guy. We're not looking at a masterpiece of the biopic, but we are looking at a movie that, if you like James Brown and you want to see a nice little overview with good musical numbers this is your bag baby yeah uh the this is really held together by uh chadwick boseman yeah who plays uh james brown throughout isn't, most isn't most he doing the black panther now I th isn't he the guy who got cast for the jack i think the black so panther? i think so i want to uh, say he is really great in this uh you know take and what's really fascinating about this is james brown yes. comes out of extraordinary poverty you know his Mother leaves... He grows up in a, in a, a one-room shack. His mother leaves his father to go and become a prostitute. Mm. His father dumps him at a whorehouse so he can go off and join the army. <laughs> you know, he, he gets arrested when he's 17 for stealing a suit and lucks into becoming a, a musician. Pure luck. Um, at the point where, for the first time ever, really, that African-American performers had a shot at becoming successful right and he doesn't just see oh i'm gonna become successful musically he goes i have to do this on my own terms because otherwise all this money will be taken away from me i would and he, you know and there's this element of the fear of poverty the fear of losing power the fear of being the victim is always there but it makes him an asshole it makes him a deeply unpleasant guy in places <laughs> who screws not just friends but the people who rescued him over. I, I've actually had people in my own life who are who don't quite go down totally the path that he did, but are well down started down it with the like if I don't do everything myself, 
nothing is going to work. I can't trust anybody else. And they get so close minded and put the blinders on so much to what's going on around them that one day they wake up and they go, holy shit, nobody likes me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unless you're like the biggest star in the world, like James Brown, that shit ain't just ain't going to work. Eventually it's yeah. going to, it's going to all fall apart. And thankfully the people I have known that were this way eventually broke out of it. And went, oh shit. What am I doing? Um, James Brown, I think we all saw, by the way, his career kind of when his career finally kind of like exploded towards the end into madness and like crazy acts of violence. Nobody really wanted to save him. Yeah, he he (laughs) run. I mean, the the core narrative here is really his relationship with Bobby Bird, who'd been his longtime uh, friend, advocate. Uh, Played here by musical uh, collaborator. Nelson Ellis. Yeah, who is the other really great performers in him. Bobby Bird is a musical legend in his own in his own right. And then Dan Aykroyd, who was his agent, oh. who, uh, uh, Ben Bart, who also does a really good job. Yeah, and, and the, you know this the, you know, this is about a man who either loses everybody he loves or pushes them away and yeah. becomes so self sufficient that he loses touch with reality. And, and you know, Bozeman is greatness. I think yeah. this is this is a uh, you know, one of the year's best performances out of anybody because when he gets James Brown down and you you see him in these performances you really like that's him that's those moments and he manages to kind of crunch his face up to and he doesn't yeah. look like James Brown the rest no, of the time no not not he at all he does here yeah yeah this is this is a really stellar performance it's you know it this is no this 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 isn't the greatest musical biopic ever no but it's it's pretty damn good it's, it's pretty not, enthralling and it's, it's 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 got some really you, you know it doesn't it doesn't gloss over the uh the rough parts if you like james brown at all this is kind of an essential must watch quite frankly it really is good for what it is it's just like you said the worst thing i really have to say about it is that like it's following a formula we've seen before it's not we're no stranger to this formula now and to a certain extent script wise it feels a little like okay is it done is it done okay great we got to take it we got to film yeah you know um but everybody else is really performing as good as they can here including the director and all the actors um it comes with uh, a feature commentary from the director Taylor and the featurette's long journey to the screen. Chadwick Boseman, Meet Mr. James Brown, The Get On Up Family, and Tate Taylor's Masterclass, which are all little featurette documentaries. Um, yeah, this is great. And we are not only giving you away a copy of this on Blu-ray, it's a package that comes with, Ooh. kind of inexplicably, uh, the Blues Brothers on Blu-ray. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? And a pair of aviator sunglasses. Meh. I have no idea why those are. It's not like he, he, like he was really known for wearing aviator sunglasses. So I don't know why, but it's the prize pack. There you go. How can they win this prize pack, Richard Whitaker? I'm glad you asked me that, Mr. Coxer. Uh, okay, you need to follow us on Twitter, at one of us net. And answer this question using the hashtag GetOnUpGiveaway. Which actor would you like to see playing which famous musician in a biopic? So you've got to give us the two. You've yeah. got to give us the, 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 mus- the, the, the musician famous musician and the actor. Who and the actor you would like to see them playing. A lot of possibilities. And, and, you know, Crispin Glover, Kurt Cobain. 
Ooh, that's that's a that's. Would you kind of like to see what he would do? Yeah, with that? You could even if you've even got like a, a good twofer. Like if anybody out out there has a, a good one of uh, the Gallagher brothers from Oasis, uh, <laughs> then uh, that, that you know yeah we yeah, two first work we can do that. Yeah, we or even if you got the whole band, fuck yeah, it, go yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Keith Cold is going to write in and say One Direction as uh, as the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Hiya, Keith. Um, Damn you! How dare like, you! There's like twenty people who get that joke, and they and they all think it's fucking hilarious at this moment. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So um, follow us at one of us net uh, on Twitter. Uh, hashtag get on up giveaway. What actor would you like to say, see playing what musician in a musical biopic? But wait, that's not all. That's not all. We also have this beautiful jade elephant pendant. No, we don't. No. We, we just also have another movie to review that we're also giving away. Oh, and I have to say... This is the pick of the week. This is our undoubted 100% wholesale, no, no must, no fuss pick of the week yeah for both of us this is one of those ones that I may, it didn't make it to my top 10 of the year but it was definitely in my top 20 and if i was to do an indie movie top 10 oh, or yeah. or even a top this is number one on my list of top 10 uh underrated films of the year uh, and I that's have, the guess i still haven't done a top 10 and this is easily in there because i, I it's i almost never have time to watch a film twice in a year uh, and i've seen this three times now and i oh my God. fucking love this movie it's so good <laughs> and you and you motherfuckers better write in for uh to to claim this prize because uh, if you don't i'm having it because i love this film and i don't have a <laughs> copy yet so you better don't let me down this is the latest adam wingard film now you may go like okay why should i care about that well you horror fans out there do you remember how good your next was this is better. Or well, yeah, Horrible Way to Die as well, which I love. Horrible Way to Die, also uh. a really, really good film. He had sequences in VHS and VHS two, uh, and autoerotic, which nobody has seen because it's fairly obscene. Yeah, I've never uh. seen that one. But um, he's also one of those guys who appears in other people's films a lot of the time. Him and Joe Swanberg cross over and appear in each other's stuff. But this one is, in many ways, it's the most accessible of his films. I would say. Yeah, it's um, the one that like is good for people who aren't traditionally big horror fans. Yeah. It's has the feel in very distinct and specific ways of horror movies in the eighties when they were crossing over into the big theaters with films like gremlins and that sort of thing and trying to appeal to a much wider mass audience. It has that feel. And even the look of at points in terms of uh, lighting and color, Anyway, the story here uh, is this family whose oldest son, Caleb, died in the war in Afghanistan. And who shows up at, the, at, at uh, their door but David Collins, who is this charming and handsome soldier uh, played by Dan Stevens, who really is charming and handsome. Like, if this movie had come out 10 years ago, he would have been the one playing Thor. And British, but does amazing accents. He does. Yeah. Uh, who's like, look, um, I know this is awkward, but uh, I want to help take care of your family because I like Caleb was my best friend and I was with him when he died and he was so worried about you guys. And I promised him I'd come in and check out on, up on you and try and help. And sure enough, this family needs help. Like the dad's having problems at work and the kids are like the, the younger son, Luke is being bullied. And, uh, the older daughter, uh, Anna is having problems with, you know, your typical teenager getting into trouble problems. And it really does... You really like David. Yeah. You're like, 
this, I wish I had a David Collins in my life when I was that age, or yes. even now. <laughs> showed up and was like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to be awesome all the time. He's Captain Awesome from Chuck. Yes. You know, he's like, he's just awesome. Until we discover that maybe everything is not as it seems. Mm. And that David is a psychopath <laughs> who uh, is telling stories that aren't exactly how they went. And the film takes a decided turn for the territory of the stepfather. Yes. Which I actually talked to uh, Simon Barrett, the scriptwriter. Yes. And he said, oh, yeah, no, this is uh, yeah. like, I, I was so inspired by the stepfather of like, you know, basically you invite somebody into your home and they really are fucking terrifying. Right. Uh, th this is, oh, this is a, a kind of gonzo action slasher um, with Imagine if if Jason Voorhees had great table manners uh, and killer abs. Yes, which uh, which is uh, it's a great goth soundtrack. Uh, which actually is a funny story because uh, uh, my wife used to uh, DJ at a, a, a club in Columbia, Missouri uh -huh. called Shattered, which is a goth club, and. We were at the Q and A where uh, where Simon Barrett was there, and he name checks uh, <laughs> he name checks Shatter, and he went woo. Yep. like it's clear, like you know Columbia, Missouri, like this uh, even by you know second hand stories, which most of what I know. So you like it, there's so many bits here that make sense. <laughs> Simon and I actually had a, uh, a discussion after the film talking about just about Sisters of Mercy and how much we love them. Yeah, like you see, this <laughs> this all is this all is in there. You got you know you got a great soundtrack. Uh, Love and Rockets, Clan of Zymocks, uh, yeah. Gatekeeper, Sisters, uh, Front you know, 242. Yeah, and, and there's this great thing that they, it, there's a, a, a she, one of the characters makes a mix CD for him. At, <laughs> at, at, Back uh, in the day one, when that meant something. Uh, at one point. Uh, also, this is the, the first of two really excellent performances in horror film, from kind of unconventional form, uh, performances in horror films. Uh, from Michael Monroe, who's also in the upcoming uh, It Follows, yes. uh, which is you know ghosts as a, a go ghosts as a sexually transmitted disease. This is just <laughs> raucous, crazy, dayglow, monstrous fun. And Lance Reddick, who's Lance Reddick. always wonderful. Lance Reddick, uh, brief cameo by uh, one of our favorite people on the planet, AJ Bowen. Yeah, he turns up. Ethan uh, Embry, who uh, shows up in a lot of related films from this crowd as well. Leland Orser is great in this. Um, He's so good in this. This just uh, nothing. Weirdly. Um, the upcoming uh, Riley Stearns directed Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth Winstead starring Faults. Oh, okay. There's actually a lot of the same cast because they shot back to back and they basically just shared a lot of cast. Oh. So it's kind of they're weird. They're very different films, but weirdly paired up. But this is just, you know, if you, if you are in any way a fan of uh, uh, Barrett and Wingard's work, uh, if you like watching uh, uh, Dan Stevens in Downton Abbey, <laughs> which I know a lot of the ladies do, I did know he was he on is, that. Either. He is great in this. Uh, Michael Monroe, I think, is is just on the verge of really busting out as a great talent. Everything about this film is just phenomenal, violent, crazy eighties dayglow fun. It's, it is. It's you don't even have soul. to specifically like any of those things. Yeah. If you like a fun movie, yeah, this is it. This is this is just. You know, I, I, I spend a lot of my time watching films and going, oh, I love that, but it proves to me that I have a dark and twisted soul. Uh, <laughs> this, I'm just like, nope, this is great fun. <laughs>
if you have a Dark and Twisted Soul. Yep. Anyway, uh, special features include a commentary track by Wingard and writer Barrett, which those guys are both really fascinating, really interesting, really fun to listen to people. We've both done an interview with Barrett, so yeah. there you go. We oh, yeah, everybody's, interview, everybody's interviewed both uh, like, him and, and Wingard because they're all great. Oh, they're yeah. great uh, Dan Stevens appears in a promotional Q&A piece. There's 15 minutes of deleted scenes with optional commentary. Um, there is, uh, a, of course, the DVD and ultraviolet copy. This is great, great, great stuff. And we are giving you not only a copy of the guest on Blu-ray, but a copy of the soundtrack to the guest, Ooh. which, as we said, is really fucking cool. And a shot glass with a that it says it's guest themed. Your guest, <laughs> your guest is as good as mine. What that means? Oh yeah, well, there's a fireball shot in there, which if you've never had one, is the, is the world's greatest drink, and you should make yourself one right now. I don't know. Yes. what that is. no, you really should. It's wonderful. Uh, no, what it's is, actually terrible. Is it's it? uh, okay. It's um, oh fireball. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's awful. Oh, I, but I, people weird. drink the hell out of. It. I love. I, I weirdly love that. I don't know why. Gosh, I'm a wrong person. You and lots should of people. Should I explain do. to them what they what they have to do? Oh yes, you should. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, please, sir. Please, sir. Uh, okay. Follow us at um, one of us net on Twitter. Do it. And using the hashtag guest giveaway, I will say that again, guest giveaway, uh, Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard are now famously uh, undertaking the English language remake of I Saw the Devil. Yay. One of the one of the the best creepy horror films of the past few years. One of the few people, I, a few group uh, teams, I would trust to even do that. Yeah, uh, fantasy filmmaking. Uh, if you could get them to either remake or reboot uh, either a film or an entire franchise and just be given the keys to the kingdom on something, what would it be? And keep in mind, it probably doesn't hurt to have seen one of their films. Yeah. <laughs> which, some you know, idea what they're good at yeah uh, which you know, you know honestly go, go and go and watch uh, your next which is uh, one of my so much favorite it, was on the, it basically takes all the rules of the home invasion movie and deliberately throws them out the window and comes up with something fresh and innovative which is what they do so well and they do that here starring the adorable star of Step Up 3D in an even better role yep uh, yeah so yeah I mean uh Thanks, thanks for enduring Boy, <laughs> our nonsense, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. We Don't a... forget if, uh, if if you're if you're on the website and you're watching this, uh, you can just scroll down. You click on any of the uh, the links below. It will take you to our Amazon pages, and you can buy things from there. Even if you don't buy those. You can, if, if you go to Amazon through those links, we actually get a little bit of money from whatever you purchase, which is, you know, fantastically generous which of I, the good people of Amazon. It's the reason we are able to keep the lights on, as yeah. well as the subscriptions, which, by the way, if you didn't know, we've got a new weekly show appearing that's exclusive to subscribers, even at the lowest level, which is a mere $2 a month. There's a show we have with Brian Salisbury and I, and sometimes we sh switch out and have other guests and familiar voices uh, called The Breakfast Pub where we talk about, we sum up all the news and entertainment of the previous week that we are getting a lot of people actually calling their favorite podcast on the entire site now. Like, yeah. Wow, Jesus, we're going to have to have Richard Aww. on that soon. Yeah, just to ruin it. Just to ruin it. <laughs> oh, Christ. Just to knock it down. Yeah, brought the limey. Uh... We're going to talk this week only about news that means anything to English people. Call Blimey Governor. <laughs> Here's what's happening on the next episode of a show you've never heard of. He... Anyway, that's it for Digital Noise this week. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Uh, anything else before I get to that? No, I think I think we're we're good. Thank you again for for being here for another year of, of digital noise. We will be here right through to the end. And if you haven't heard it yet, we've uh, today uh, with. Uh, the third part of this this tricycle of doom, uh, Brian Salisbury. Uh, we've also got our uh, picks of the the best releases of 2015. The the 2014 2014. The discs we love the most. The collections we we think you really need to think seriously about having in your collection. Uh, go and listen to that because it's rather blasting. Indeed. And until then, no releases too big, no releases too small. From catastrophe to criterion, we review them all. Bye.